Hi, I'm Dan Primack, and welcome to Axios Recap, presented by Facebook. Today is Friday, December 4th. Oil prices are up, job growth is down, and we're focused on the FDA approval process for a coronavirus vaccine. The U.S. Food and Drug Administration has now received two emergency use applications for COVID-19 vaccines. The first came from Pfizer and its German partner on November 20th, while the second came this past Monday from Moderna. So what happens next? A few things to know. First, that Pfizer vaccine on Wednesday received British regulatory approval. Two, FDA head Stephen Hahn tells the Wall Street Journal that his agency has 150 people reviewing the Pfizer data, and an outside advisory committee will meet on Thursday, December 10th to go over all of it. That means, at least in theory, the vaccine could be approved by this time next week. Three, Pfizer says that supply chain troubles have halved the number of doses it expects to have available in the U.S. during 2020. Moderna has not disclosed similar issues, but its process is at least a week behind. The bottom line? We're getting tantalizingly close to vaccinations, at least for frontline healthcare workers. But we're not there yet. In 15 seconds, we'll dig into the FDA review process and where things go from here with former FDA commissioner and current Alphabet executive Robert Califf. But first, this. We're joined now by Rob Califf, former FDA commissioner and current head of clinical policy and strategy at Verily, a healthcare unit of Google parent company Alphabet. So, Rob, can we start here? There are two vaccine makers who have emergency use authorization applications in with the FDA. How does EUA approval differ from regular FDA approval? Well, the EUA comes from planning for catastrophes, and pandemic is just one of many catastrophes you could think of, like nuclear war or nuclear accidents, for example. What the EUA does is give the FDA the authority to use potential benefits and risk rather than proven benefits and risks when it decides whether to put something on the market. And uh, it can put it under the market under an EUA with very specific instructions. Should people be concerned that the distinction between EUA and regular approval, when you're talking about something that is not just going to be given to people who are, say, currently sick and maybe about to die, but is, in theory, going to be given to every American or most Americans? There's always reason for concern about any new medical product, but it's fair to say that there should be extra public scrutiny in the setting of an EUA, and particularly when you're proposing to treat people who are not sick, as you said, you're trying to prevent an illness. So it's hard to make a person who feels well feel better with a treatment. And, you know, the risks have to be understood. So I think it's a good thing that we have all this public scrutiny. The Pfizer and BioNTech vaccine got approved in Great Britain just two days ago. Why is that process faster than our process in terms of approval? Well, the big difference between the U.S. and every other country in the world is that the FDA actually gets the raw data from the companies and does its own analysis of the data and also does many more inspections than any other country of the manufacturing facility. I hate to say it, but whenever we analyze data, remember I'm a clinical trialist by training. I grew up doing clinical trials. We always have biases in how we look at the data and it's only natural you'd be biased towards your own product. So it's critical for the rest of the world that the US FDA does a totally independent analysis only done by people who are full-time government employees with no conflict. This takes time. The UK uses 
the company's analyses to make its decisions. But really importantly, this is a critical point, ultimately, the UK and every other country in the world will depend on the FDA's analysis before it really moves things into high-end production. Current FDA commissioner Stephen Hahn has said that he's got about 150 people who are kind of crunching the numbers. There's an independent committee meets next Thursday. From your perspective, from the time Pfizer applied for its EUA, which was, I guess, uh, on the 20th of November, shortly before Thanksgiving, is this enough time to crunch the numbers, as you say, and to look at all that data independently? You know, I had the privilege of appointing Dr. Marks, the head of uh, the biologics division of FDA, that will be making this decision. I can assure you they would not proceed ahead unless they had done the thorough analysis that they need to do. And, you know, I know that what's going on inside the FDA is they've assigned a lot of people to this who wouldn't normally be assigned because it is such a public health priority to get the answer, to get it quickly, and to get it correctly. I'm not at all worried about that. I think the issue that is of, you know, understandable concern is we have two months of follow-up. You know, in normal circumstances, you would want two years of follow-up on a large population. That's the way it usually works. But given the fact we're losing almost 3,000 people a day in the U.S. alone right now to COVID, I think this is a very reasonable trade-off. And the follow-up data will be collected. For the FDA, they've obviously been in talks constantly throughout the year with Pfizer, with Moderna, with J&J, et cetera. But when, you know, when the Pfizer efficacy data comes out and when they send it to the FDA under the EUA and more data than they obviously release to the public, does the FDA kind of start fresh at that point or have they kind of been starting the process ahead of time, if that makes sense? Yeah, you know, I think one of the things that people have understood the least, even experts over the last 20 years, is the importance of the meetings that occur on a regular basis between the industry company that's developing a new product and the FDA. These meetings are frequent, and when I was commissioner, it was one of the biggest problems. We didn't have enough meeting space or enough people for all the people that wanted to have meetings about their products. So there's a lot of exchange of information, but it's also true that the blinding, remember that to do these studies right, you can't tip the patients or the doctor's office to whether the patient got placebo or vaccine. The FDA is also blinded. The only people that see it are independent members of a committee. So it is true that the data themselves, the final result, is not available to the FDA until that database is transferred. But they're able to go back and look at all the raw data so they can reconstruct the entire study completely independently of the company. It might be a distinction without a difference in terms of distribution, but if an EUA is granted, how long should we expect it would take until normal FDA approval would come? You know, we don't have that much historical precedence for EUAs because, thank God, we only have, you know, a national catastrophe every once in a while. And even when we do, it's usually localized like a hurricane or something like that. I just think if we go back to the normal vaccine process, it would be a year or two. But in this case, you know, we have so much data with, you know, trials of 50,000, 30,000 people and trials being done all over the world. So I think full approval will follow fairly quickly as the follow-up data comes in. The fact that the Pfizer and Moderna vaccines are based on mRNA technology, which has not been commercialized or FDA approved, does that create extra hurdles, extra time for the people at FDA who are doing these reviews right now? I think the fact that it's a new platform technology does mean that a lot more people have to take a lot more time looking at it. But the fact that people have been pulled to do this uh, sort of in parallel, if you will, rather than in sequence, it's not a noticeable slowdown that's occurring.
But no doubt, you know, this new platform uh, does raise more uncertainty that has to be resolved by really looking at the data. Presidential administration is most likely going to turn over kind of in the early days of vaccine distribution, maybe while there's another candidate that is waiting for EUA approval. Does that transition cause any logistical problems in terms of the process of getting approval? And if so, do you believe that the incoming Biden administration should keep the heads of HHS or FDA in place, at least until they have a permanent replacement confirmed? I don't think um, the HHS and FDA heads need to stay in place. Um, I think the transition needs to proceed as normal. Remember, it almost never does the FDA commissioner or the head of HHS weigh in at all on an individual product. In fact, there have only been a couple of times in the history of the FDA where that's happened. The main job of the commissioner and the HHS head is to run interference with the politicians so that the full-time FDA staff can do its job. I mean, Peter Mark should make this decision. It's not a decision for the FDA commissioner or the head of HHS. You know, I went through this in great detail during my term because of Sarepta, you know, a controversial internal FDA debate and argument that went on. And my final conclusion was the commissioner should stay out of it. The commissioner has a job to make policy that affects all drugs and devices, not to weigh in on individual products, unbiased, full-time experts should do that. Rob Califf, thank you so much for joining us. You bet. My pleasure. Welcome back. What we're watching today is the bleak future for movie theaters. AMC, the nation's largest cinema chain, announced it plans to raise over $800 million from a stock sale, saying that if it doesn't succeed, it could lead to bankruptcy or liquidation. But then, just hours later, Warner Brothers announced it would release its entire slate of 2021 films via its HBO Max streaming platform. In other words, Warner Brothers killed the so-called theater exclusivity window and maybe killed AMC too as the company's stock tanked on the news. So we wanted to ask Axios Media reporter Sarah Fisher if the economics of movie making can work without those high-priced theater tickets. Well, it's going to eventually have to. I think what's going to happen is once you put all these movies onto streaming, it's going to be hard to put the toothpaste back into the can. That's what consumers are going to expect. So eventually, the studios are going to have to figure out how to make the majority of revenue, how to make the economics work for streaming. But in terms of whether or not it's better, I mean, of course it's not. If you take a look at a Disney Plus subscription, that's about $7 a month. One ticket to Mulan in a theater is like $12. So you're not making much money upfront more on streaming than you are being in the theaters. But the problem is, Dan, the theaters are going to maybe go out of business. If they can't get support from Congress or some sort of relief, they can't get butts and seats, then the studios like Disney have no choice. They're going to have to figure out a way to make the economics work. We're also watching the November jobs report, which today showed that the economy added 245,000 jobs last month and that the unemployment rate fell to 6.7%. That jobs figure was well below the 610,000 jobs in October and also fell far short of analyst expectations. The bottom line is that the economy still has 10 million fewer jobs now than it had in February, and the recovery is slowing down. Finally, the U.S. House of Representatives today passed a bill to decriminalize cannabis nationwide. It also would do things like create conditions for easing nonviolent federal marijuana convictions, help military vets get medical cannabis recommendations from VA doctors, 
and make it easier to open marijuana-related businesses. It's the first such bill to ever reach the House floor, but isn't expected to even get a vote in the Senate. And we're done. Big thanks for listening. It's my producers, Tim Shovers and Naomi Shaven. Have a great National Cookie Day, with cannabis or without. And we'll be back Monday with another Axios Recap.